Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi folks, as you know today, this podcast doesn't have a sponsor. It relies solely on supporters like you who have become patrons. Becoming a patron is like getting the front row seats in a football stadium. You're a lot closer to the action and you see a lot more. So for as little as a dollar a month, fans of Irish history like you who have become patrons get lots of extra content including podcasts, episode guides, listener discussions with myself and much more. For example, last week I ran a competition for two books on the Great Famine for patrons, the winners of which I will announce later in the show. If you've been missing out on all this, why not get on board today and become a patron of your history, a Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Irish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is the story of Lola Montez, who was arguably the most notorious Irish woman of the 19th century. Now before I get into the story of Lola, I just want to explain why there's not an episode in the Great Famine series this week. As those of you who follow me on Facebook or have become patrons of the show will know, I had an operation last week. I'm slowly recovering and I'm not back to full tilt just yet, so research is proving a little difficult. Rather than making a famine episode, which can be quite complex and difficult to get right, I went for a topic that was somewhat easier, that is, this fascinating story about Lola. I'm not sure whether there'll be a podcast out next week, it all depends on how I am, but if you bear with me, normal service will definitely be resumed in the coming fortnight. I'll keep you posted on Patreon as to how I'm getting on. Now to the show. Born in 1821, the Irish woman Lola Montez became a byword for controversy in the mid-19th century. Were she alive today, by the time she reached her 30th birthday, she would have spent time in prison. Her friends would be the most powerful people alive. She would be plagued by the paparazzi, have millions of Twitter followers and if she had a website, it would be most definitely X-rated. She, however, was born in the west of Ireland in the 1820s in a very different time. But nevertheless, she took that world by storm, bringing down monarchies along the way. 
This is the intriguing story of Lola Montez, or as she was born in County Sligo, Elizabeth Rosanna Gilbert. In 1821, Elizabeth Rosanna Gilbert began life as she would live it, by raising the eyebrows of her contemporaries in 19th century Ireland. Her father was one of the thousands of British soldiers stationed in Ireland at the time. Her mother was the daughter of the one-time MP and Sheriff of Cork, Charles Silver Oliver. While relationships between serving soldiers and Irish women were by no means unusual, the respective ages of this couple certainly raised a few wayward glances. While her father was 23 at the time, Elizabeth's mother was only 15. While this would land her father at least in prison today, the couple were nevertheless married and almost immediately got down to the business of starting a family and Elizabeth, who would become known to the world as Lola, their first and only child, was born in Grange, County Sligo in 1821 when her mother was only 16 years of age. This baby, Elizabeth, was of a dark complexion, something that's not completely unusual in the west of Ireland, possibly the influence of merchants from Spain or Portugal who traded with Ireland. The dark complexion of her skin would become an essential aspect in her story in the coming decades, as we will see. Given her father was serving in the British Army, the young Elizabeth's early years took her across the globe. While she was only two, she was brought on the long journey to India by her mother, who was following her father's regiment who had been shipped out a few months earlier. However, they had scarcely arrived in Dinajpur, near the border of Nepal, when Elizabeth's father died, leaving her 18-year-old mother to fend for herself in a strange land as far from home as she could get. In this situation it was hardly surprising that Elizabeth's mother quickly remarried another soldier, this time a Scot called Patrick Craigie. Craigie appears to have taken Elizabeth as his own child and, when she was still only five years old, in 1826 she was sent back to Craigie's family in Scotland to be raised. This began what must have been a lonely childhood for Elizabeth, who was now isolated from her mother. To make this even worse, when she was ten, the Craigie sent Elizabeth to a boarding school where she remained until 1837, when her mother finally arrived from India to be reunited with her daughter, who she hadn't seen in ten years. Any potential rekindling of their relationship was quickly scuppered when Elizabeth was informed by her mother that she was to return to India, where she would marry the 64-year-old Sir James Rutherford Lumley, the Adjutant General of Bengal. For a 16-year-old, this announcement must have been crushing. Her mother, who she hadn't seen since she was five, was now going to take her halfway across the world to marry her off to a man four times her age that she had never even met. This was intolerable to the 16-year-old Elizabeth, who had already grown into a remarkably headstrong woman. Rather than travel to India to marry this old man, she instead eloped to Ireland with a far more attractive prospect, a 30-year-old soldier, Thomas James, who she married on her arrival in Dublin. After marrying Thomas James, it was not long before Elizabeth was heading to India with her new husband after his regiment was posted to the subcontinent. However, the marriage between the young Elizabeth and Thomas James, who was nearly twice her age, was soon in difficulty and within two years Elizabeth was back aboard ship returning to England without her husband. The year was 1839. Elizabeth was 18 years of age and it was on this voyage that the scandalous reputation that she courted for the rest of her life began. 
The sea voyage from Calcutta to London in the 1830s lasted months. Ships had to sail south around the coast of Africa and then north through the Atlantic to reach England. During this long, difficult journey, the 18-year-old Elizabeth, who by all accounts was stunningly beautiful, started an affair with George Lennox, an English aristocrat. She didn't do very much to keep the affair secret and Hughes not only got out but also travelled back to her husband in India. With their marriage already in serious difficulty, this gave him the grounds for a divorce. He started court proceedings and named Elizabeth as an adulteress. While he successfully received a divorce, it had an odd clause that stated neither he nor Elizabeth could remarry while the other still lived. For a woman like Elizabeth in 1840, still only 19, there was scarcely a more scandalous event that could befall her. She could not remarry and she had been publicly humiliated by being labelled an adulteress in a divorce court. While this shocked Victorian Britain and would have seen many women withdraw from life for the rest of their days, Elizabeth Gilbert transformed herself, embracing this new identity and would soon go on to shock Europe to the core. With life in England difficult, Elizabeth decided to move to Spain, where she more or less disappeared from public view for a few years. It's not clear where exactly she went at all. No one heard much about her until three years later when a new woman, a person completely transformed, returned. She was no longer Elizabeth Gilbert, but instead called Lola Montez, a name that would become infamous and notorious across the world in decades to come. She was still the stunningly beautiful woman that Elizabeth had been, but she had forged a completely new identity. She denied she was Irish and in a letter to the press told the story of what she now claimed was her family history. I was born in Seville in the year of 1823. My father was a Spanish officer in the service of Don Carlos, my mother a lady of Irish extraction born at Havana and married for a second time to an Irish gentleman which I suppose is the cause of my being called Irish and sometimes English. I beg leave to say that my name is Maria Dolores Puria Montez and I have never changed my name. Well for most Irish women this would be difficult to pull off. Elizabeth or Lola's dark complexion had always given her the appearance of being Mediterranean so it was entirely believable she was indeed Spanish. The new woman, Lola Montez, was, according to herself, a dancer. Elizabeth had trained the basics of dance in Spain. However, what would become Lola Montez's trademark routine shocked and stunned Europe. Known as a spider dance, it was far more provocative and erotic than most dances of the time. Indeed, on occasion, as the historian Richard Evans has said, at the climax she lifted her costume to reveal she was not wearing any undergarments. This left the scandal around her divorce in the shade. She initially enjoyed some success as a dancer in the London theatres, but after it had emerged she was not in fact the Spanish noblewoman she claimed to be. She was forced to leave the city. After this she set sail for Europe and her fame quickly grew and within months she was performing in Berlin before the Kaiser of Prussia, Frederick IV, and the visiting Tsar of Russia, Nicholas I. While she was now enjoying something of a meteoric rise, the headstrong woman that she would become famous for also emerged. While in Berlin, she attempted to enter the royal enclosure where the Kaiser was reviewing troops. However, one guard, foolishly, blocked Lola's path. She was offended and outraged and beat the guard with a horsewhip she was carrying. This incident gained her notoriety, 
something she appears to have relished, and, indeed, in the coming years, she would frequently carry a horsewhip, and this Prussian guard was by no means the last man to be beaten by Lola. By the end of 1842 she had left Berlin and travelled to Warsaw, but her stay there was cut short when she was deported within weeks after starting a feud with the chief of police. While her fame was soaring, she now, by her own admission, decided to seek out a high-profile lover that would benefit her new identity. In the 21st century, she might look for a musician or maybe a celebrity, but in the 19th century, Lola found the next best thing, the famous classical composer, the Hungarian Franz Liszt. She met Liszt and he fell for her charms and the two struck up a relationship. Indeed, while in his company, she also met another famous composer, Richard Wagner, but he was one of the few men to encounter Lola that was not impressed by her at all. While she and Liszt parted company a few weeks later, he did give her letters of introduction to friends in Paris, where Lola decided to move to pursue a career as a dancer. While her routine raised eyebrows even in Paris, as she continued to dance without undergarments, leaving nothing to the imagination of the audience, her career as a dancer would always struggle, as her talents in this regard were only mediocre. However, in Paris, she continued to have a string of high-profile lovers, including, by some accounts, Alexandre Dumas, the author who penned The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers. However, her most infamous treat in Paris was with the noted Parisian newspaper owner, Alexandre Dujarrier. He managed to revive her career as a dancer temporarily, but their relationship was cut short in what seemed to be the inevitable controversy that surrounded Lola at all times when he was killed in a duel. With Dujarrier's death, Lola's time in Paris was nearing an end and she decided to move on. In the following months she travelled back into what is now Germany but in the 19th century was a series of independent kingdoms. Not long after she arrived in Württemberg she was forced to leave after she caused an outrage by giving a public demonstration to prove how she carried a knife in her garter. But Lola was only getting started in her assault on German sensibilities because on her arrival in Munich the capital of the Kingdom of Bavaria, in October 1846, her previous controversies were about to be put in the shade. But before I get into this, I want to take a quick breather. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, back to Lola and Bavaria in 1847. Mm. 
Munich in the 1840s was the capital of the Kingdom of Bavaria, one of the larger and more powerful kingdoms that made up what is modern Germany today. It was here that Lola's reforged Spanish identity proved most useful because the ageing king, Ludovic, was a man fascinated by all things Spanish, not least among them Spanish women. Indeed, the king was enchanted when he met Lola and did not hold back, reputedly asking her if her breasts were real. To prove that they were, Lola apparently took a scissors and cut open her dress to let the king see for himself. After this, he was besotted with her. Indeed, he told one acquaintance, I can compare myself to Vesuvius, which seemed burned out until suddenly it erupted again and I am in the grip of a passion like never before. The king found Lola irresistible and she found herself with influence beyond what she could have ever dreamed for. She was soon installed in a villa where the king lavished her with gifts. However, Lola was in a Bavaria where tensions were simmering just below the surface. The king's government was comprised of conservative Catholics, but they were under pressure from a growing liberal movement. In this situation, the Catholic government and indeed the powers that be in Bavaria were deeply concerned and unimpressed with Lola and her reputation. She was reputedly even offered £2,000 by the king's sister, the Dowager Empress of Austria, to leave Bavaria. But Lola knew she was on to a good thing and was unlikely to find such a position elsewhere, so she simply refused. However, she made enemies at court. While the Catholics disliked her, she despised the Catholics. This may have been partly due to her background as an Irish Protestant in a time when sectarianism in Ireland was running high but she certainly seems to have encouraged the king against listening to Catholics in his kingdom, and this made her lots of enemies. When King Ludovic announced that he not only intended to give Lola Bavarian citizenship, but also make her a countess, this proved to be a breaking point. The Conservative Catholic cabinet resigned in protest and published correspondence about Lola, making her the centre of a political scandal. King Ludovic, however, pushed ahead with his plans and the Conservatives were replaced by a highly unstable government that was dubbed by many as the Lola Ministerium, reflecting her new power in Bavaria. Lola herself probably couldn't believe her luck. After all, she had just arrived a year earlier and by 1847, with the Catholic cabinet gone, she was made Countess of Landsfeld. However, her interference in Bavarian politics inevitably provoked a backlash. As early as March 1847, she was attacked in the streets by a mob that went on to sack her house. Indeed, the story was soon gaining international press attention as well. The English press lauded her for what they saw as her stance against the Catholic Jesuit order, in particular, who had been influential in Bavaria. The Times of London went as far as calling her a heroine. In Ireland, the more Catholic-orientated press was not so enamoured by her, and the Freeman's Journal called her notorious. Indeed, one stables named a racehorse after her. Whether this is a good or a bad thing is not clear. While Lola had never had it so good, she was, however, pushing the boundaries in Bavaria too far. In August 1847, newspapers were again reporting riots against her. On that occasion, she attacked another guard who tried to stop her entering the king's garden with a dog. Lola proceeded to beat him with a parasol and that night mobs rioted against her as she was increasingly seen as an unwanted and undesirable influence on King Ludovic. Nevertheless, she continued to exert huge influence over the king and formed her own bodyguard unit from university students. By 1848, she had more or less provoked a revolutionary situation in Bavaria and it's difficult to have sympathy for her. 
In January, she apparently toasted a mob protesting against her with champagne and chocolates. The end was clearly nigh, and in February 1848, her bodyguards were attacked by a mob. She survived an assassination attempt and finally decided she needed to get out and fled to Switzerland, bringing an end to her reign in Bavaria. From there, she wrote to Ludwig, urging him to abdicate his throne and come join her. The situation in Bavaria reached fever pitch on March 16th, 1848, when Lola decided to return, but quickly fled again. Four days later, on March the 20th, in the face of massive opposition, King Ludovic had to abdicate in favour of his son Maximilian. However, if Lola thought she was going to live with the former king, she was mistaken. Ludovic quickly cast her aside as he finally realised the destructive influence she had been. In 1848, at the age of 27, Lola had now been married, divorced, had had flings with Franz Liszt, Alexander Duma and brought down one of Europe's monarchs. However, she was by no means finished. From Switzerland, she moved to London and within a year she was married to a 21-year-old, extremely wealthy heir, a man called George Trafford Heald. However, controversy continued to plague her. Shortly after her marriage, Heald's family, undoubtedly embarrassed by Lola's reputation, found out that her first husband, the soldier Thomas James, was still alive in India. Therefore, in accordance with their divorce, she was not allowed to legally remarry and was declared a bigamist. Nevertheless, true to form, Lola eloped with her young, wealthy husband and for the following three years they travelled through Europe. However, in 1850 he finally left her, according to a story reprinted in the Cork Examiner at the time, in the hands of not one but two French gentlemen who had become enamoured with her. However, it would seem Lola had had enough of men for the time being and she now returned to her life as a dancer and perhaps because she had created an impressive list of adversaries and enemies in Europe, she decided she needed a new challenge and in 1851 travelled to the United States. Arriving in New York to great fanfare, Lola enjoyed success there with her dance performances but the fiery reputation that had gained her fame in Europe also soon made the headlines. Not long after arriving in the city, she beat an Italian count who made comments about her within Lola's earshot. However, nothing at this point seemed to hurt her reputation at all. By this stage, she was a pretty experienced self-publicist, frequently writing letters to the press, putting forward her side of the story. In New York in 1852, she took this to new levels when she wrote a play called Lola Montez in Bavaria. In the performances, she played herself, portraying her time in Bavaria as that of a pseudo-liberal revolutionary standing up to conservative Jesuits, which appealed to American audiences. This, however, was certainly stretching the truth. She never really showed interest in anything other than her own advancement. By 1853, she had travelled across the US and found herself in San Francisco, then gripped by the Great Gold Rush. There, she married for the third and final time to a newspaper editor, Patrick Hull, but this liaison was short-lived even by Lola's standards, they separated a few weeks later. During the following two years, she lived something of a quiet life in a place called Grass Valley in rural California. While she avoided the international limelight, she nevertheless divided opinion in Grass Valley like she had almost everywhere else. Women from established families in the area were not impressed by what one woman called her low-necked gowns, while a newspaper editor was less circumspect when he called her a trollop and a wild jade. She also had her admirers too though, the miners in the surrounding hills even named a mine after her. However, 
By the summer of 1855 she decided to take to the road again, travelling this time to Australia where she toured the cities of New South Wales as a dancer where she was apparently making £200 a night. Unsurprisingly though, it was only a matter of time before she courted controversy. A local newspaper carried a column which impugned Lola's character as a woman. A few days later, the editor of that paper made the mistake of appearing in the hotel where Lola was staying. Once she heard he was in the building, she went downstairs with her famous horsewhip in hand and beat him across the back. The editor was also carrying a whip and hit Lola in retaliation and then a major scuffle broke out between Lola and the editor with each one grabbing the other's hair. Although the row was broken up, Lola eventually challenged the editor to a duel with pistols, but he refused. She then mercilessly derided this man from the stage in her following performances. After more tours in North America, Lola was in her mid-thirties by 1857. Looking to the future, she knew her dancing routine had a limited future. She had never been the best of dancers and it was a young person's game. So, not for the first time, she reinvented herself. She finished her career as a dancer and instead toured the world giving lectures on a variety of topics for which she continued to draw large audiences. By this stage, she was a celebrity in the very modern sense of the word. Lola was famous for being famous. Her, the topics of her lectures varied and included subjects like gallantry, fashion, beautiful women and even things like the comic history of love. It should be said, the depth of her knowledge was impressive. One audience member recalled how she related several anecdotes to illustrate the force of sentimental love in ancient times, such as that of Aristotle submitting to carry his lady love after having reproached Alexander the Great. Lola also tackled what were perhaps more political topics. In a world when the movement for women's rights was just emerging, she gave lectures on the topic of heroines and strong-minded women in history. However, if early feminists were hoping for a new icon in Lola, their hopes were dashed. She had little time for the feminist movement. Ultimately, the narcissism that motivated her throughout her career led her to believe that individuals should basically fight their own corner and to hell with everybody else. She once said, One woman going forth in independence and power of self-reliant strength to assert her individuality and to defend, with whatever means God has given her, right to a just portion of the earth's privileges will do more than a convention of women. Her lecture tour on topics like this took her back to Ireland in 1858 for the first time since she had absconded to marry her first husband in 1837. The Elizabeth Rosanna Gilbert who had arrived then was a very, very different woman to the Lola Montez who returned. After Ireland, she travelled on to England before she left Europe and returned to the United States in 1857. Unbeknownst to her, this was the last time Lola would see Europe. She suffered a major stroke in June 1860 and while she managed to make a partial recovery, she contracted pneumonia early in 1861 and died. Aged only 40 at her death, Lola Montez had lived a remarkable life. She had taken Europe by storm in the 1840s, making herself not only the most famous Irish woman of the time, but probably the most famous Irish woman of the 19th century. She was certainly unconventional, but what makes her life all the more unusual is that she achieved a remarkable amount in a world where women faced huge constraints if they tried to live any kind of independent life. She faded into historical obscurity through the 20th century, but nevertheless there are still lots of books and even a film on her life. That's where I'm going to leave the show for today folks. Hopefully I'll return next week with a famine episode and if not then it will be out the following week for sure. I'll keep you all posted 
on Patreon as to how I'm getting on. If you want to become a patron, you can sign up today at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Until next time, Sloan. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.